all good. Good morning, everyone. Let's make our way to our seats here and get this rehearsal for heaven started. I'm grateful to see all of you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everyone that's tuning in online. It's an honor and pleasure to have you with us as well. I've really been looking forward to this morning. Well, I look forward to every Sunday morning, but in particular, there's a song we're going to introduce to you a little bit later that has really, I was introduced to earlier this week, that really um, I think is very special, and I think it's going to be very special for everyone here. But for now, we're going to sing some scripture together, taken right from the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord's Prayer. Church, let's sing. Father, Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. And give us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us, forgive them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come. One more time now. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. And give us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. I'm the one. Let your kingdom come. And it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. The kingdom. The power. The glory are yours. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. Forever and ever. The kingdom is yours. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. 
Once more. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. On earth. earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. One more time now. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Amen. Hey. I really didn't need coffee today. I just needed to hear you. And I'm loving what I'm hearing. I am, in a word, grateful. All right. Let's sing. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. And I give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. Of your mercy and your love, your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. When I was down, when I was down, you brought me out and set my feet on higher ground. So here I stand, you are my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock. And I give thanks, sing it church. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. that chorus again, church. I give thanks. Here we go. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the important things that we can do 
for our hearts, for our souls, is to practice gratitude. And um, as we head into this next song here, it talks about reasons, well, to be grateful, reasons to practice gratitude, especially when it comes to what God has done for us through Jesus. And I would just love, before we hop into this one, to give you the opportunity to just take a moment just between you and the Lord for just a brief moment of prayer, a prayer of gratitude. If you could just take just a minute now and join me in just thanking God for whatever you have to be grateful for, whatever that looks like in your life right now. Just between you and him, a prayer of gratitude. Lord, we give thanks for all you have done. And I give thanks for all of the prayers of gratitude that have been offered up to you right now. You are the giver of all good things. You are faithful through all generations. There are so many reasons to be grateful today and every day. We praise you for those. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a reason. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand in now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. Together we praise the King. Sing it. Praise the King. Praise the King, He's 
There's a reason why we share His resurrection. Jesus is alive. Oh, He is alive. We praise Him. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Praise the King. could not ignore it when all of heaven's roaring hell where is your victory death where is your sting the world could not ignore it when all the saints are roaring hell where is your victory death where is your sting the grave could not ignore it when all of heaven's roaring the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Praise the King. Take a moment to greet the folks around you. Let them know what you are grateful for today, what you're praising God for today.
Okay, everybody, we're going to continue with our worship now. As I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to this song earlier this week, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to introduce it to you. I'm not going to give it much of an intro because I think that the message speaks for itself. Jesus is our firm foundation through every season, through every trial, through every obstacle we face in our darkest times. We can stand firm on his grace, stand firm on his presence, stand firm on the promise of the Holy Spirit to be with us. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me is shaking. I've never been more glad, but I put my faith in Jesus, because He's never Christ is my firm. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand. Everything around me is shaking. Let me down. Save 
Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for being a firm foundation on us, for us, for the fact that you never, ever will fail. When the rain comes, when the storm blows, we can rest in the shadow of your wings and we can stand firm on the foundation that is you. We praise you for that and for so many other things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for worshiping with us. Go ahead and have a seat. on i forgot uh i was <laughs> i was actually looking at our order of service right then because i thought the announcements were next but it was me so i apologize so how you guys doing good 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 to see you really good to see you so uh today what i want to do is i want to take a little break from acts and i want to talk with you about some things i've kind of been reflecting on over the last week is that okay uh, we're going to look at Scripture, okay? We're not just going to talk about my reflections. We're going to look at Scripture because a lot of my reflections are reflections on Scripture. And um, But I just want the opportunity to talk with you about some things that are um, probably kind of hard for me to talk about. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the things about pastors is sometimes we avoid things we don't like to talk about. We do. I, I don't know if you know that. But sometimes, and part of the reason why I like to preach through books of the Bible is because it forces you to preach about subjects you would otherwise not preach on uh, because they're hard. Does that make sense? And you work through and you're working through a book of the Bible and you come to a difficult text and you're like, oh, I guess I have to actually talk about that this week. Uh, And so this one, though, it doesn't show up in the book of Acts. And that's the reason uh, but I felt like it was something I needed to kind of talk to you about if I could. Uh, last weekend, Joy and I, we were gone because we were at a celebration of life service uh, for Philip's brother's wife, uh, Jessica. Uh, Jessica was 49 years old, passed away from lymphoma. And, uh, and uh, she found out uh, 10 months before that she had had it. And it was a very, very aggressive form of lymphoma. And... <clears throat> So let me just, let me break from that. Our, our time together was so rich. The song we just sang, I asked that we could do that song today. Because, uh, I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes too, okay? Um, I would say that, that grief is something, it's interesting. Has anybody ever heard a sermon, a message on the subject of grief before? Just anybody heard a sermon on the subject of grief? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, it's very interesting. I was talking with my uh, I was talking to my daughter-in-law yesterday, and she told me she's never heard a sermon on the subject of grief. And the truth is, I've never heard a sermon on the subject of grief. I've read books on it. Uh, I've read books on it, but I've never heard a sermon on the subject of grief. And, and I've heard it brought up in sermons, but never actually a sermon on the subject of grief. Uh, about probably, I don't know, a few years ago, 15 years ago, maybe longer, I don't know, a buddy of mine was going through an extremely difficult time. And uh, as he was going through this time, he was just grieving. His heart was broken. And uh, just his confidence, everything was just, he was wrecked, totally wrecked. And I remember listening to him, listening to him, and I just felt so inadequate. I just did not know how to help him. By the way, the best thing to do when you're listening to someone who's grieving is to say nothing. Okay? 
It is. Joy was, we were talking about this. She just finished reading through the book of Job. And, and Job's three friends, what they do is they do something really well. Job is absolutely devastated. Everything is ripped away from him, including his children. Every one of them die. And the Bible tells us that his friends came to him and they said nothing for seven days. They said nothing. And sometimes the best thing you can say to a person when they are grieving is nothing. But then for 40 chapters, for 40 chapters, they start telling Job everything that's wrong with him and why he's going through what he's going through. They would have been wise to have continued to have said nothing. Um, Yeah. Um, You know, uh, I had this experience a few years ago, about 10 years ago. uh, It's actually 10 years ago this year. Uh, Ten years years ago this year, I lost my dad. My dad passed away. Uh, It was a brain aneurysm. I'm actually grateful that my dad died the way he did. Uh, I'm grateful that he passed away quickly. Not everybody has loved ones who pass away in that way, uh, like my brother-in-law, where you watch someone you love die slowly. It's it's just heartrending. But my dad passed away quickly, but I was not ready. I was not ready to face that kind of grief. I've read through the Bible many, many times. I've read lots of books about psychology, Christian counseling, things like that. I've read these books. I've, I've, I've read the Bible, but I was not ready for the death of my dad. And I remember that morning when I got the news and I was just kind of, I don't know, unfeeling. And I remember I announced it to my kids that their, you know, their uh, papa had just passed away. And I told them, you know, if you need the day off from school to kind of cope with what you're feeling, feel free to do that. And, and, and they all chose to go to school that day. Uh, I, I remember later that day I was picking up my son Caleb from track practice. And one of my buddies, my best friend when I was growing up, his name is Joe. Joe Baird gave me a call. And, and Joe had called me and, and my parents had led Joe's parents to, to, to faith in Christ. And that's how Joe became a Christian. And so Joe had this incredible attachment to my dad and my mom. They were like an aunt and an uncle to him. They were just people that he dearly, dearly loved. And I remember Joe was talking with me on the phone. He was just weeping. And I was just like, just non-emotional, non-emotional. And and probably for about three or four months, I don't ever really remember crying. I don't remember really feeling anything. And then what I did was I drove our son Caleb, and Joy went with me, and Caleb's two sisters went with as well. And we, we drove down to San Luis Obispo, and I dropped Caleb off at school at Cal Poly. And I remember as we were dropping him off, I felt this flood of emotion that scared me. I didn't know how to control it. I couldn't, like, hold back the tears. And I cried for a year. For a year. I could barely preach. I was maybe a little bit like I am today. I could barely preach without crying. I, I would try to pray, and we'd be praying together. And, and Matt can tell you about this, like, at staff meeting. But we would be praying together. And I remember I could barely pray without tears. They were just there. I was just overwhelmed by emotion. This last weekend, we were up there, and, 
And, and it was really a very, very special time. We got to meet Lonnie and T. And Lonnie and T, I hope that they get to come to our church sometime. I want to bring them down here. Lonnie is a worship leader. He's a really, really neat guy. Actually, T, she's pretty awesome, too. They're both just awesome on guitar, awesome singers. He has kind of a country and western feel, and, uh, but neat, neat couple. He's like a couple years older than me, and he, he sang this song. He dedicated it to me. It was really fun. It was about driving fast. Uh, I got a speeding ticket while I was in Washington, okay? Uh, so it, anyway, Chuck, I bear no malice against police officers, okay? Uh, uh, he was out to protect me, I know, and everybody else from me. So, um, so uh, but he, he has a song called Drive Real Fast. It's, anyway, but we got to meet Lonnie and T, and, and Lonnie and T were with them the whole way of this journey. Uh, that, that T is, was a registered nurse by training, and, um, and, and they'd gone to a staff retreat for their church. Uh, the, Philip was the main worship leader for the church, and, and um, they were at the staff retreat, and they had to take a boat to this island. And, uh, and Lon, it was Lonnie's boat. He took them over. And, but T was noticing that, um, uh, that, that Jessica was breathing through pursed lips because she was in so much pain. And she had said nothing to no one. And so uh, T went to Lonnie. She said, Lonnie, uh, Jessica's in pain. I'm not sure what it is. She's breathing through pursed lips, but I think we need to help her. And so um, Lonnie went to Jessica. He put his hands on her shoulder, and he said, you know, are you okay? And she shook her head no. And she said she was in a great deal of pain. And... Um, and he said, what do we need to do? Do I need to take you to the hospital? And she nodded yes. And they got in the boat, rough waters, it was real rough waters. And uh, they made it back to the mainland and got her to an emergency room. Lonnie was so grieved by what happened, he had to sell his boat. He couldn't keep his boat anymore. Um, they took her in. They did um, exploratory surgery. They took out uh, a measure of her colon. And they took out a large cancerous mass. Um, and uh, it, sure enough, it was lymphoma, and it had spread. And it was a kind of lymphoma that was, um, well, nobody had ever lived for longer than a year with it. Nobody had survived it. Um, um, and, um, and that was the beginning of um, some pretty difficult months for them. Um, my nephew, Isaiah, he's 19 years old. Uh, Isaiah wrote a song going through this experience with his mom called What If? And I'm hoping and praying one day we can bring Isaiah here. He's, he's starting school down at Cal Baptist uh, in September uh, to, be, uh, to write music and uh, to be a worship artist. And um, like his dad... And uh, but he and Philip wrote it together. It's a powerful, powerful song, and I hope I, I can bring them here sometime to do this for you. But but in all of this, they were just. Um, it was interesting to watch the posture of my brother-in-law Philip. Um, you, you know, to me, when life is kind of easy and things are going well, it's a lot easier to be thankful, isn't it? It's a lot easier to worship. 
It's a lot easier to smile. It's a lot easier to do a lot of things. But when you are the worship leader and you have a heart that's breaking, what I saw in Philip is that he worshipped God. He worshipped God with just a spirit of defiance. And, and when I say a spirit of defiance, not defiance to God, but defiance to death. The death is not going to get the final word in this. And I heard him say this again and again. He said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I've read that verse, I don't know, maybe a hundred times in my life. I know I've read it dozens of times. I've read through the Bible. I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. So I know I've read it a lot of times. And, <clears throat> but I, I will never be able to read that verse the same again. Because when I read it now, I hear the voice of Philip Morhan. I will extol the Lord at all times. While his wife is dying, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. In defiance of death, in defiance of pain, in the defiance of loss, he chose worship. Um, so when I came home, I thought, I need to take a short break from Acts. Is it okay if we do this? I want to read for you some verses about death. Uh, I want to read for you some verses, some of the things that the Bible says about death and about mourning and about grieving. And then I want to do is I want to share with you five reflections. That's what I want to do. And so these are going to be, uh, because we're doing a little bit of Bible hopscotch, we're just going to have it all up on the, the screen for you today, okay? First verse I want to read for you comes from uh, the book of Job, and it's Job chapter 1, verse 20. And immediately after Job got news that his ten kids had passed away, his, sub, excuse me, his seven sons and his three daughters, immediately after getting news that all of his children were dead. Now, to me, that would be devastating news. The Bible says this, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Now, folks, that's not a poem. That's not some kind of just, you know, made up story. This is the true experience of a true man with true feeling as real as yours and mine. In the middle of great loss, did he grieve? Absolutely. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. But what he did is he fell to the ground in worship. And when I look at that, I think about my brother-in-law, Philip. Um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and, and this is a verse that I've always you ever read the Bible and they're like verses you kind of want to, you know, it's like, you know, let's get past that one. You know, I'm not, I don't really like that verse. Let's move on to something that's a little more cheerful, a little more encouraging. You ever do that? No, just me. All right. A couple of us do. Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says this. It is better to go to a house of mourning. You see that? Can you read that line with me? It is better to go to a house of mourning. Let's read it one more time. I want this to be in your heart, your mind. It is better to go to a house of mourning. 
Do you believe that deep down in your soul? Uh, Solomon writes, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Wow. On Friday, a week ago Friday, we went to a house of mourning. But it's also a house of worship. And the next day, we went to a house of feasting, and we feasted, and we celebrated. Uh, you know, the, the celebration of life service was in the morning, and then that evening, Isaiah graduated from high school. And then on Sunday was his birthday. Actually, it was Sunday morning that we did the, the house of feasting, and we, we feasted. We had a big breakfast, celebrated uh, Isaiah's birthday. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. Every one of us will face death. Okay? Unless Jesus comes before you die, every one of us will face death. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. We need sermons and messages about death, dying, mourning, grieving. But, but I'm not going to do it every week, okay? But we need that. We need that. And Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and it's not necessarily about death, but what Jesus says, this is, this is in the most celebrated sermon of Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what Jesus says is he's, he says this, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those whose hearts are broken. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And in John chapter 11, verse 35, um, it's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Uh, it's the easiest verse to memorize, so go ahead and memorize this verse today, okay? By the way, you can say, I memorize scripture today. The context is Jesus is at the grave of a dear friend, Lazarus. And those of you who've grown up going to church, you've probably read the story in John chapter 11, how Lazarus had, uh, he was very, very sick. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, asking for Jesus to come and to heal their brother. And the Bible tells us that Jesus delayed. He waited. He waited for his dear friend to die. It's so interesting. So interesting that Jesus could have kept him from dying. In fact, Martha says that to Jesus. Jesus, you could have kept him from dying. And, and as you know, if you've read the story, John 11, if you grew up going to Sunday school as a kid, you know that, that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus again from the grave. Of course, Lazarus once again died. But But... Jesus, knowing all these things, the Bible tells us Jesus wept. Guys, if you ever grew up hearing someone tell you that big boys don't cry, you're not going to meet a bigger boy than Jesus. Okay? You're not going to meet a manlier man than Jesus. Clint Eastwood may not cry, but Jesus wept. Jesus wept. See, that's what a healthy person does when they're grieving. It's not the only thing they do, but it's one of the things they do. They grieve. They weep. They mourn. Jesus wept. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be 
comforted. Um, another verse dropping down. First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, Peter is 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 writing to some some believers in Christ, followers of Jesus who lived in Thessalonica at the time. And it's it's First Thessalonians chapter four verses thirteen and fourteen. And 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 what what Paul writes to these people? Did I say Peter wrote this? I meant to say Paul wrote this. I don't know. I did say that. I do this all the time. Okay. Joy calls her brother Caleb, so it's really funny. And then she calls her she calls her son Caleb Philip. It's really. Uh, so uh, I just call everybody, hey, you, and avoid trouble. <laughs> That's probably bigger trouble. Anyway, uh, Paul writes, and he says this to these Thessal- uh, Thessalonian Christians. He says, brothers, sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died in Jesus, those who sleep in death. We do not want you to be informed about those who sleep and death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. He's not saying you don't grieve. You just don't grieve the way other people grieve. Uh, Brothers, sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep and death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, when we grieve, we grieve with hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. You believe that? I do too. Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So what I'm going to say is Jessica is more alive today than she has ever been. She is alive in the presence of Jesus Her suffering is done. Her grief is done. She is in the presence of God forever and ever. This is the hope of the Christian. Uh, What does the Bible teach us about death, grieving, and worship? Uh, I'm just going to share with you a few words here. I'll go relatively fast. Uh, you can always, if you want to go back, find the scriptures later. Actually, I can send you a copy of my notes if you want that. Uh, but the other thing you can do is you can just go online uh, and watch it through YouTube uh, because it's there. But, but five things that the Bible teaches us about death, grieving, and worship. And number one is this. Acknowledge and express your grief to God. Acknowledge and express your grief to God. There's some people who are afraid of their emotions. They are. You know, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he said that there is uh, that there are more emotions for a man, because we as men sometimes we stifle our emotions. He said there are more emotions for a man than simply being glad, sad, and mad. Okay, there's more. I remember listening to Larry uh, Crabb many, many years ago. He's with the Lord now, a uh, Christian psychologist, a uh, really sharp guy. But I remember hearing him say a long time ago that he had learned to pay attention to his emotions, to his feelings. Many men were better at denying our emotions than feeling them, expressing them, and learning how to live them out in a healthy way. Uh, by the way, it's not just men who can struggle with that. Women do too. 
Acknowledge and express your grief to God. By the way, one of the most healthy things you can do with God is learn how to express what you're feeling. You ever read through the book of Psalms? You ever read those Psalms where it's like, you know, God, why? You know? Why, why, why? You know, dash their little one's heads against the stones. You know, it's like they say these things that are like, oh, my goodness, that's in Scripture? By the way, there are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, 150, 150 chapters. Each one is its own unit. And when you go through and if you read through like different Bible scholars, Bible teachers, stuff like that, they'll tell you that there are seven different kinds of psalms or they'll tell you there are five or they'll tell you that there are 11. But there are different kinds of psalms and there are some psalms that are psalms of thanksgiving. There are some psalms that are hymns of praise. But there's another kind of psalm in, in, that's called the lament. It's called the lament. By the way, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. But there's a, a kind of psalm that's called a lament, and it's when the psalmist cries out his complaint to God. He's not denying his feelings. He's not exploding at God either. Never understand a lament as someone who's exploding at God. It's not that. But it is someone who's learned how to own what he's feeling in the presence of God. Own what you're feeling. A great way to go crazy is to be in denial about what you're feeling. And a great way to drive everybody around you crazy is to deny what you're feeling so they're feeling the fallout and then blame it all on them. Well, you're just emotional. Uh, learn how to acknowledge and express your grief to God. We see this with David. David cries out to God in Psalm 31, and you can write this down and look it up later. But in Psalm 31, uh, David says this. He says, be merciful, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. You ever cry out to God when you feel distress? Good, that's healthy. Be merciful to me. I need mercy. For... I am in distress. My eyes grow weak. These are the words of a man who's tearful. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul, my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. My years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. And my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. David wrote this at a time in great distress when he was surrounded by his enemies. Perhaps Absalom, his son. Perhaps Saul. We're not real sure. But in that moment, he cried out to God what he was feeling. Job does the same thing. In anguish of soul, Job cries out after learning about the death of his children. He says, for sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Uh, If you want to make it through grief without going crazy, or making other people around you crazy. 
Learn how to acknowledge and express your grief to God. By the way, one of the things I would encourage you to do, write a psalm. Write a psalm to God. It's not going to show up in the Bible. Don't worry, you know. But it can be very healthy. Number two, find comfort in God's presence. Oh, wow. This is really important. Find comfort in God's presence. Psalm 34, 18 says this. It says, the Lord is close. Can you say close? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let me say this. The key to experiencing the presence of God in crisis, by the way, you're either coming out of a crisis, in a crisis, or headed to a crisis. Just, you know, sorry. But you need to understand that. We are living in a world that's broken. The key to experiencing the presence of God in crisis is practicing the presence of God when you're not in crisis. Practicing, you know, it's very interesting. There's a lot of 21st century North American Christians, and y'all may think I pick on 21st century North American Christians sometimes, but those are the Christians God has called me to pick on. That's, those are the sinners I'm supposed to preach to, okay? And we have areas of brokenness in our lives. And, and, and you know, it, it's really interesting is that, that, that Christians, Christians are often more shaped by our world than we are by Jesus. And when I say that, I'm not saying you're all out, you know, I don't know, I'm not saying you're all out doing all manner of the things that we identify as being non-Christian, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, all those kinds of things. But sometimes we're shaped by our world because we are like super, super busy. Super, super busy. That's being shaped by the world. That's not being shaped by Jesus. We're, we're rushed. We're hurried. We're so rushed and hurried that we can't be patient with someone else who's slower than we are in a grocery line. I've only heard about this. I've never had the experience personally, okay? Um, but, but, but one of the things that we need to learn how to practice better as North American 21st century Christians is we have to learn how to practice the presence of God. We have to learn how to practice doing what the Bible says. Be still. Now, that's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. The Bible's not just saying, you know, every once in a while you should be still. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And almost every day before I articulate a prayer in my words to God, before I even read Scripture, oftentimes what I do and if, if it's not the first thing I do, it's usually the second or third thing I do. But one of the things I do is I just try to be still in the presence of God. And what I do is I just, I, I will, sometimes I'll pray a prayer, Lord, help me to be still in your presence. Teach me right now how to seek you above all things. Teach me how right now just to simply delight in you and your presence. Sometimes we think of prayers talking with God. Anybody ever heard that statement before, prayers just talking with God? Prayer is sometimes talking with God, but oftentimes it's being silent in the presence of God. We, the practice of contemplative prayer goes back centuries. It's been a practice of Christians for many, many centuries. 
And it's been a pro- and it goes all the way back to Scripture. The idea of being still in the presence of God and just being present with Him. But find comfort in the God's presence. And by the way, the key to experiencing the presence of God in Christ is practicing the presence of God before you're in crisis. Number three, third thing to do when you are grieving, grieving loss, maybe the loss of a loved one, seek solace in the hope of the resurrection. We have a hope. Jesus is risen. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. Seek solace in the hope of the resurrection. Number four, lean on the support of fellow believers. Folks, right now, if you are not in a small group, get in a small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. The reason I'm telling you to get in a small group is because there's going to come a time when you're going to need people around you. There's going to come a time, I, I believe that, that, that worshiping God weekly, collectively, is what we see practiced by the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints. It is the teaching of the Scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament. Anybody who tells me they don't need the church has not read the Bible. How do you love one another all by yourself? How do you bear one another's burdens all by yourself? How do you fellowship with one another all by yourself? How do you forgive one another all by yourself? Well, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, yeah, and there's always room for one more. I need Jesus every day. I need a saving work as much today as I did the first time I believed in him. I need him. And by the way, I need you too. And you need me, even when we might get frustrated with each other sometimes. That's part of being broken and fallen and sinful. We do that. But we work through it in a way that's healthy. But, but we need to be able to lean on one another in times of grief. We need to lean on the support of fellow believers. The Bible says, carry each other's burdens. This is why I'm telling you the church, following Jesus is very personal, but it is not private. You follow Jesus collectively, not all by yourself. How do you, that's the only way you can live this out. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, and in this way, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's in carrying one another's burdens, especially in times of grief. Romans twelve fifteen says this. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When someone in our group and our church is hurting we need to weep with them when they're weeping we need to help them carry their burdens you know i remember i remember when when matt was very very sick with myelofibrosis and i remember how so many of you did things to serve the skinner household mowing your yard things like that i i just think that's what we're supposed to do that's the way we're supposed to serve one another carry one another's burdens Number five, fifth thing to do when your heart is breaking and you're in grief over the loss of a loved one. 
Worship God and give thanks. Worship God and give thanks. You know, one of the hardest times for us to worship is when we are in great pain. It is. That's why it's important that you learn to worship now. Uh, But one of the hardest things times for us to worship God is when we're in great pain. It's also one of the most important times to worship. Um, It's in worshiping God that we encounter God in ways that over time brings uh, healing to our wounded hearts. I just remind you of the example when you're in great pain over the loss of a loved one. I remind you of the example of Job. That in Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the Bible tells us after learning about the death of his children, the Bible says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshipped. I will remind you of the example of my brother-in-law, Philip. While serving his wife, and we got to hear more stories that just broke my heart, he continued again and again and again to profess with defiance in the face of death and suffering, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You know, um, a week ago Friday, we were gathered. I don't know how many people were in the church. It's a relatively large church. and I'm just going to say safely, there were hundreds there. How many hundred? I don't know. It was a large building, uh, and it was pretty much packed. And, and that song we sang just before I stood up to preach, what's it, what's it called again? It's... Uh, from foundation. And he led us in that song. Wow, it was amazing. And, and then he, well, actually, he spoke before this. And one of the things he said was something like this. He says, you know, we have grief in one hand. You understand that? He just lost his wife. We have grief in one hand. And we have gratitude in the other. Wow. Grief and gratitude. Can we really be grateful in times of grief? The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up. Um, I want to share with you. uh, I want to share with you uh, a few phrases that I read off ChatGPT. Anybody know what ChatGPT is? <laughs> so I typed in this question to ChatGPT, and I asked, I asked ChatGPT, what does the Bible teach us about, about grief and gratitude? And for those of you who aren't aware, it's like artificial intelligence, okay? And, um, and, and this is what ChatGPT said. This is really weird to me. It's like I'm, I'm quoting a machine, all right? I'm not quoting a person. I'm quoting a machine, but I thought, but I, I, I asked it, based upon the teaching of the Bible, based upon the teaching of the Bible, and it, 
it, that's a part of the system. Based upon the teaching of the Bible, what does the t- Bible teach us about grief and gratitude? And this is what it said. Gratitude in times of sorrow involves intentionally shifting our focus from our pain and loss to God's faithfulness, goodness, and the blessings that still surround us. But that is very biblical. But I did ask it according to the Bible. <laughs> then it said this, by cultivating an attitude of gratitude, we open ourselves to God's healing and transformative work in our lives. And I was like, whoa, that almost sounds like it came from the Bible. And then it said this, gratitude does not minimize or invalidate our grief. I think that's very true, and we need to understand that. Gratitude does not minimize or invalidate our grief, but it can provide a source of comfort, hope, and perspective as we navigate through times of sorrows. Let's pray. God, we, you are a good God. You are always faithful. And, um, and Lord, in this world, this broken world, we sometimes feel the pain, the trauma uh, of the loss of a loved one. Or sometimes we feel loss in a completely different way. Maybe it's something that we're going through or something that one of our loved ones is going through. But we feel in this world that is broken by sin, we feel sorrow at times. We feel incredible grief. And Lord, what we pray for, what we pray for, what we want is we want to learn how to grieve in a way that's healthy and holy. God, we want to learn how to really acknowledge, acknowledge what, what we're feeling to you, not trying to hide our feelings, not hiding from our feelings ourselves or hiding our feelings from you, but, but coming to you with our feelings in a way that's healthy and holy. That, Lord, we want to learn how to experience the comfort of your presence. God, we want to find solace in the resurrection, knowing that Jesus is coming again, that Jesus is preparing a place for us, and he's coming again. And one day, all those loved ones in Jesus that we miss so much now, we will be with them again. Lord, we want to to learn how to, to, to lean into each other and to live really godly community way before we enter times of grief or mourning. So that we have the support of one another in times of grief and mourning. And finally, God, we want to learn how to worship you and be grateful. Not for what we've lost, but for what you've given us. And the hope that we have in Jesus. Teach us, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we um, close with our closing song, I just have a few announcements. Um, we always want to remind you, and Gary mentioned this, about our small groups that are meeting. And these groups are just great opportunities for you to find a safe place to connect with others and grow in your relationship with God. They provide an opportunity for you to be encouraged, um, encourage others, and talk more deeply about what we're learning on Sunday mornings. There's always room for one more person in any of the groups, and it's not too late to join one. Even though some of them are, might be breaking for the summer, reach out to the group leader, and that way you can share any prayer requests or concerns, or if they're meeting throughout the summer for a social event, just a great way to get your feet wet into it and see if it's the right place for you. 
Um, so just for more information on any of the group, groups, you can tap on the groups button on the SVC app, or you can visit our website, www.solonavalley.org forward slash connect. And then we'd also love to invite you to stick around after our service on Father's Day next week, June 18th, for a fried chicken potluck lunch. As we've been studying the book of Acts together on Sundays and in our small groups, we've seen that the early church really took their mealtime seriously. So we want to continue that tradition. If you'd like to contribute a side dish or dessert, a sign-up sheet is on the back table there. So you can just make plans to join us. If you can't bring anything, that's fine too. Just come on down and stay with us after service. And then speaking of opportunities to share a meal together, after our service on July 2nd, we'll be hosting an ice cream social. So ice cream is still a meal, right? It's got some, some nutritional value in there. Um, so ice cream will be provided, and it's a fun way to do the sort of pre-4th of July celebration together, and then we'd love for you to join us. And then we would just like to take a moment to worship God with our giving. The Bible teaches us that all we have comes from the Lord and that we are the stewards of what he has entrusted to us. I want to thank all of you who take what God has entrusted to you and faithfully give to the mission of SVC, the mission of inviting people to follow Jesus. And there are several different ways that you can worship by giving, and you can find them again on our website or on our app. Um, So just take a look there and then also at the back if you're physically here. Thank you very much, Elsa. Church, let's stand together and let's give thanks in all circumstances. And uh, yeah, you know, ice cream, lots of calcium, strong bones. That's important, especially after 50. Not that I would know anything about that. But All right. This is Singing Church. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my strength. And I give thanks. Here we go. I give thanks for all you have done. Of your mercy and your love, your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. And when I was down, when I was down, you brought me out and set my feet on higher ground. So here I stand, you are my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock. And I give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks. All you have to